Amen. Amen. Thanks, Tim. Thanks, worship team. Awesome. Loved it. All right, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. You ever known any super spiritual people? Wow, now that, that's, that's a spiritual person. I remember when, um, I think it was, yeah, summer after my freshman year in college, I applied to work at uh, Pine Cove as a counselor, and I remember being really excited when I was accepted, but also kind of nervous because I thought, you know, when I get there, all those counselors are going to be really, really spiritual people, and I'm going to stand out as being not so spiritual. And when I got there, what I discovered was almost all of them were just like me. It's kind of a mixed bag. There were a few actually who were, you know, they were, they were ahead of me, several steps, they're pretty spiritual people. Then there were a few in my pride, I said, well, they're kind of behind me. But then most of them were really just, just like me. Second year after my sophomore year, I applied to go on a missions trip to Spain. And when I was accepted, I was really excited, but I, I was also kind of nervous because, you know, being a camp counselor, well, that's one level of spirituality, but going on a missions trip, <laughs> now that's spirituality. So I'm going to get there and all these people are going to be really, really spiritual and I'm going to stand out as being not so spiritual. You know what I found out? They're all just kind of like me. It's kind of a mixed bag. But then after graduating from A&M, I went to seminary and I was excited when I was accepted. I was a little bit nervous because I thought, well, people go to seminary. That's where the really, really spiritual people are at seminary, people like Jeff Payne. And, you know, I, I got there and you know what I discovered? They were all just kind of like me. Uh, there were some who were, who were many steps ahead of me, and I will tell you, by and large, the folks that were really steps ahead of me were mostly the international students. Okay? And a couple of you who have gone to seminary, Jeff included, are going, uh-huh. What was it that, that seemed to mark them as, as different, as really spiritual people? There are a lot of different ways that we can talk about spirituality, but in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul's going to give three marks of spirituality. Three things that set really spiritual people apart. I want you to read with me beginning in chapter 12 and verse 1. Paul says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to the mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is accursed and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Paul starts this chapter saying now concerning, which is a textual marker that he's about to address an issue that they've written to him about, a question that they have. He says now concerning literally spiritual things or spiritual stuff. My translation says spiritual gifts, which he's about to talk about. But it could also be translated spiritual people, which he talked about in chapters 2 and 3. But literally it is spiritual stuff, spiritual matters, spiritual things. And I think what Paul is saying is, I want to address this fundamental issue of spirituality, which you Corinthians have really missed. Because what you think is spiritual is not what's really spiritual. Because in their mind, what was spiritual, what marked a person out, was when they had these really obvious and overt and external gifts and talents. So if you could preach or if you could teach or prophesy or speak in tongues or heal people, the things that were obvious and external, they said that's spirituality and the people who can do that, those are the really spiritual people. And you know what? It was a problem in Corinth. It's always been a problem. 
for God's people, that we measure spirituality by external things. Remember when uh, Samuel was going to anoint David. And on the way, the, the Lord said, you know, Samuel, here's the problem. Man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. And what you might think is spiritual is not necessarily what's spiritual. What you can measure or see on the outside is nothing compared to what's going on in the heart. And what he's saying here in this introduction, in these first three verses, is you are all spiritual. When you were pagans, which most of them were in the Corinthian church, you were led along, meaning you went in procession, worshiping, along these sacred pathways. And you may have had wonderful experiences as you walked along the way, but at the end of that experience, what did you find? A dumb idol. And some of you were Jews, and you had the law and the prophets and the writings, and you studied them deeply, but then you looked at Jesus Christ and you said, accursed, condemned by God, a man who's a criminal, a blasphemer, he deserves what he gets. You pagans, you, you miss it. You Jews, you missed it. But then God's spirit came and he illuminated your minds and you cried out and you said, no, Jesus is Lord. And the only way that you could do that was because the spirit of God illuminated your mind and came to dwell inside of you when you believed. That is, you have the stuff of spirituality. And the way that you reflect that spirituality is through your worship. Romans chapter 12, verse 1, Paul wrote, Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Paul says, this is worship. Give yourself to God. Heart, soul, mind, and strength. Remember, lifting God up, praising his great name, falling down before him, humbling yourself because God is great and you are not, and then giving in to God. That is, giving in to God's will for your life, giving in to worship God and God alone, and giving yourself on behalf of others. This, this is spirituality. Giving glory to God and doing good for others. All that you are and all that you do. Okay? Three marks specifically that Paul is going to point out. The first is this. Super spiritual worshipers direct all attention, all honor, all glory to God, not to self. Verse 4. Now there are a variety of gifts, but it is the same spirit. There are varieties of ministries, but it's the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. In other words, any and everything that is, is good and beautiful that happens through your life, the credit all belongs to God. Notice the repetition. He says, same spirit, same Lord, same God. He's the one who works all things according to his will, according to his desire. So all the honor, all the credit, all the glory goes to God. As he will say in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, what do you have that you didn't receive? And if you received it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? All that you have is a gift from God. 1 Peter chapter 4, Peter wrote, As each one has received a gift, use it to serve one another. As good stewards of God's varied grace, whoever speaks as one who speaks the oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, 
in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever and ever. Amen. As Tim reminded us right now, what is heaven doing? They're saying, hallelujah, all praise and honor and glory and dominion and power be to our God forever and ever and ever and ever. And that was what heaven is preoccupied with. Okay, true, genuine, spiritual people point all the attention to God. Same God, same Lord, same spirit. Notice he also repeats another phrase. He said, but there's a variety, 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 right? There's a variety of gifts that God has given. There are a variety of ministries or opportunities. There are a variety of effects or outcomes in your life. In other words, God has not given us all the same personalities or the same preferences. There is one God, but there are many of us. His point is this. One God, variety of gifts, so that there can be one body. But one body that has unity, not uniformity. Unity, but not uniformity. If you think about the early disciples, they were not all alike, were they? Not at all. Thomas was skeptical. Mary was trusting and believing. Martha was just busy. James and John, sons of thunder. Barnabas, son of encouragement. There was, there was variety. There was beauty. Why? Because God is not monochrome. God makes these beautiful mosaics. Because that's what unity in the body of Christ is about. Verse 12, chapter 12. For even as the body is one and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, we were all made to drink of one spirit. What's the significance? Church, the significance is this. We together, properly functioning, were designed to reflect the very nature of the triune God. John chapter 17. This is Jesus speaking to his father. He says, the glory which you have given me, I have given to them. That they may be one just as we are one. The glory that God shared with the son, the son has shared with us. the The very glory of God. So that the way that we love one another and serve one another would be a reflection of the unity which is in the Trinity. Remember we talked about this last week. The Trinity is father, son, and spirit. All equally God. Three persons. Not three gods, but three persons and just one God. But there's a hierarchy of authority, different responsibilities within the Godhead. The Father is over all and he sends the Son. The Son speaks what the Father tells him to and glorifies the Father. And then the Father and Son send the Spirit so the Spirit can glorify the Son, so the Son can glorify the Father. But they're all God. And when we see this reflected first in the home and then second in the church, the world gets to see a picture of the Trinity. Okay, in other words, you can't explain the Trinity. I, I can't explain the Trinity to you. I can't explain, explain three in one. I can come up with illustrations and I can describe it, but I can't explain the Trinity. But the beauty is, church, when we love one another and serve one another and value one another and we pursue Christ together, we discover a unity that reflects the very nature of God. That the world can't see anywhere else than these two illustrations, the home and the church. Equal persons, but a variety of gifts. 
Unity is not uniformity. Unity is us together pursuing one thing, and that is Jesus Christ and his honor and glory in our lives. And so church, what do super spiritual people look like? They point everyone to Jesus. They point everything in their lives to the glory of God. So, excuse me, second, super spiritual people actively exercise their spiritual gifts. Read with me in chapter 12 and verse 7. He says, but to each one is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the spirit, to another the the word of knowledge according to the same spirit, to another faith by the same spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one spirit, to another effecting of miracles, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing of spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another interpretation of tongues. But one and the same spirit works all these things, distributing each one to each one individually, just as he wills. Now, in 1972, there's a a book that came out. It was a bestseller. Some of you uh, who uh, have been around a little bit longer will remember this. It's called I'm Okay, You're Okay. You you may not be able to see the subtitle from where you're sitting back there. The subtitle is this, uh, America's number one bestseller, Changing the Lives of Millions. Okay, and up in the right-hand corner, all of that for just $1.95. Right? I mean, this was a, an enormously popular book, the most popular when it was first written. And for literally millions of people, this is great news because they had such horrible self-images. Right? They thought of themselves as, as terrible, rotten, wicked, worthless types of people. And then a book came out and said, you know what, <laughs> you're not that bad. You're, you're okay. I read that title and I say, that's miserable. Right? That's not the message that I want to hear. You know what? You're, you're just okay. You're, I don't want to be okay. I want to be great, right? I want to be, I want to be wonderful and marvelous. Somebody just comes up to me and says, you know, you're okay. You're, you're, you're just okay. You're okay. I'm okay. You're okay. You're not that bad. I'm not that bad. We're just, we're just, just here. Aren't, isn't it great to just be mediocre? Oh, it's, I hate that. I hate that title. I want to say you're great. And that's what the word of God tells you. It says you are wonderful and marvelous because you were created in the image of God and God had eternity to think creatively about how he would design you. And so this is Paul's message. You are uniquely created and uniquely gifted by the creator of the universe who is brilliant, who possesses all wisdom and all knowledge, and he crafted you special. Notice with me again, chapter 12, verse 7, he says, but to each one is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. The word that Paul uses there is pneumatica. Pneuma is spirit. This is a manifestation of the Spirit, indicating both its source but also its power. The gifts that are given you from the Spirit are a manifestation of the presence and the power of God's Spirit in your life. You are indwelt by the Spirit. You are gifted by the Spirit. You are empowered by the Spirit of God. The other word that Paul will use is the word charisma. Greek word charis comes from this as well, which indicates that it is a gift. It is a free gift. It is not something you earn. It's not something you deserve. It's something that God just freely hands to you, something God freely places in your life. It is a manifestation of the Spirit. It's a manifestation of God's 
freely bestowed favor in your life. It's a gift from God. So how do we define these gifts of the Spirit? Let me make a stab at it. Spiritual gift is this. It's a special enabling or empowering giving by the Holy Spirit to every believer upon trusting Christ. For this purpose, for the worship of God through the building up of the body of Christ. That's a spiritual gift. It's enablement through the indwelling Spirit of God. It's empowerment. It's something that makes you unique and special. Because there's a mix of gifts that God has given to you that no one else has. Paul actually has several lists of these gifts. Please don't even try to write this down, right? You can uh, get the slide later or you can just actually open up your Bible and read them for yourself. Okay, he, has, he has three different lists. Uh, they don't all overlap. Okay, there are different things listed in the different lists. There's some overlap, but I think that indicates Paul wasn't trying to create an exhaustive list. He's saying these are the kinds of gifts that God gives to the church. He's got 20 or 21 that he lists. Uh, Peter is a little more to my liking. He synthesizes all of it in two. I'm more of a synthesis kind of guy, right? And he says... Well, these are the gifts. They're speaking gifts and serving gifts. Again, the point is not to make an exhaustive list, but say these are the kinds of things that God gives to the church. Now, a couple of observations. First, um, God doesn't give all the gifts to any individual. There's no individual that has all of the spiritual gifts. Nor is there one gift that everyone gets. So that means there isn't a single gift that if somebody has it, boy, that's a spiritual person. If you don't have it, uh, maybe not so spiritual. It's according to the will of God. And he says, some are apostles, some are prophets, some are teachers. They're not all apostles, are they? They're not all prophets, are they? They're not all teachers, are they? No, but God's spirit has distributed all of the gifts as God's spirit has decided to distribute them. And a particular spiritual gift isn't a mark of spirituality. You don't earn these gifts God determines who gets them. Now, you can request and ask for certain gifts, but God makes the choice. And God places them in the body of Christ in a wide variety of ways so that we each would have a unique contribution and so that we each would need one another. So how do you figure out what your spiritual gifts are? Well, there are uh, online surveys that you can take. We, We use a paper survey here. There's a class that we're actually going to be running in April that I'll, I'll mention at the end that you can sign up for. It helps you understand how's God wired you? You know, your personality, your gifts, your talents, your desires. I would say start with this. What do you love to do? I mean, what, what, do you, what do you just find enjoyment doing that really benefits others? Either drawing them into relationship with Christ or strengthening them in their faith. That's what spiritual gifts are for, to build up the body of Christ, to draw people into it, or to build them up in their faith. What do you love to do that benefits others? That's a good starting point, because you know what? God made you uniquely to desire and enjoy certain things. Uh, I will tell you, I don't don't cook meals for sick people. You don't want me to cook a meal, actually, for you if you're sick, especially. That's, that's not hospitality. I like having people in my home, but hospitality is not, for me, one of my spiritual gifts. I have benefited from people who have spiritual gifts of hospitality. When our family has been struggling and we are needing just some assistance, another family has come in and served us, I have benefited from that, but that's not, that's not my spiritual gift. You know what I love to do? 
I love to teach. I, I, I love to teach. And I will, but I will confess to you, uh, I love to preach. This isn't my favorite setting. My favorite setting is with, um, when I'm with one other person or two other people or three other people and we're sitting down and the word is open and together we're digging deeply and, and I can even just ask questions and draw out and help people learn for themselves. And when, but when that light bulb goes on and God's spirit illuminates something for someone else, that just fires me up. I mean, that, that just breathes life into me. And I will tell you, I didn't and always know that was my spiritual gift. God places gifts in you the moment you trust Christ, but sometimes it takes time to discover those gifts. Sometimes those gifts arise because there's a need in that moment. Sometimes you're called upon to do things that are actually outside of your gifting just because there's a need. Sometimes you're called upon to do things because this is what the body of Christ does. It doesn't matter if you're gifted or not. I don't have the spiritual gift of evangelism, but I will tell you, I love sharing my faith. And I'm supposed to share my faith. Paul says to Timothy, do the work of an evangelist. Every believer, share your faith. But I have been around gifted evangelists. Uh, my wife, one of her spiritual gifts is evangelism, and it's amazing. You can be just in kind of a normal conversation. You know, you're talking about, you know, eggs on the plate, and all of a sudden, man, she's just sharing the gospel with somebody. You're like, how did that happen? How do we just all of a sudden turn that corner? Well, there's a spiritual gift there. And I've seen people trust Christ with her. Just, you know, boom, boom, boom. I, that's not my spiritual gift, but I, I love it. And I love to be in the conversation when that's happening with her. And I can just kind of, every once in a while, just kind of like, you know, throw some teaching nugget in, right? <laughs> Let's talk about that because that's what I'm gifted at, right? Okay. What do you love to do? What do you love to do that benefits the body of Christ and others? And what do you get feedback from people say, you know, that really benefited me? I see the impact of that on others. You know, one of the greatest gifts we can give to one another is see the gifts in one another and praise those and celebrate those and encourage those. Okay? So what do you love to do? What do others benefit from? Because here's Paul's point in this whole section. You're gifted for the good of others. That's what spiritual gifts are about. So starting in chapter 8 all the way through chapter 14... There's a theme that's repeated over and over again, over again, and it is stated different ways, but like this in chapter 14. Strive to excel in building up the church. Okay? Build up the body of Christ. Don't tear it down. Build it up. Build it up. Build it up. Build it up. In other words, if you don't know your spiritual gifts, you haven't discovered them, or you are not using your spiritual gifts in some way for the blessing of the body of Christ, the body of Christ is suffering right now because the body of Christ needs you. The body of Christ needs you. Now, third, super spiritual worshipers celebrate the role of others. Chapter 12, verse 20. Paul says, now there are many members, but there is just one body. So the eye cannot say to the hand, hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body, which seem to be weaker, are necessary. And those members of the body which we deem less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor and are less presentable, meaning the less obvious gifts, the ones that aren't up front. You know, the speaking, the teaching, the prophesying, the, the tongues, the things that they exalted. He says, actually, they don't need honor because they get honor here on earth. But God values the unseen. God values the unseen. 
So I was tempted at this point to ask the guys who were sitting at the back to turn out all the lights and all the sound and turn off the air just so we could have a moment to appreciate the fact that your eyes are directed here, but periodically you should direct attention back there because there's so many things that have to happen behind the scenes just so that we all can have this moment undistracted, not even thinking about all those things that have to happen behind the scenes. Okay? Celebrate, rejoice in the gifts of others. Not jealous or insecure that you don't have a certain gift. Not proud and thinking everyone should be like you. But celebrating the fact that each has a unique role. Okay? God made you unique. You are necessary to the body of Christ, but so is your neighbor. The body of Christ suffers if you don't fulfill your role. The body of Christ suffers if your neighbor doesn't fulfill his role. In other words, if I can put it a little more bluntly, God actually made you deficient on purpose. God made you lacking certain things on purpose so that other members of the body of Christ could help make your life complete. Okay, imagine if we were in the garden watching the scene. Adam was created and he begins to labor and he names all the animals. And God comes to him and he says, you know, you, you finished naming all the animals, but it's obvious that you're lacking something, Adam. You're, you're deficient. Adam, you're not enough on your own to do this job. I'm going to make you a helper comparable. And what if Adam had responded, you know what, God, it's okay because I'm okay. God, you're okay and I'm okay. Just leave it alone, right? We would all have suffered. We wouldn't be here if Adam had said, no, no, it's okay. It's okay. I'm okay. You're okay. No, Adam was made lacking. And you're made lacking. A few years ago, there were um, 10 of us on ministry staff before we had launched uh, Southwood Campus, and we, we took uh, a survey. It's called Strengths Finder. And, uh, you know, it's not the gospel, but it's interesting because it, it, it maps out five of your top strengths, strengths that you bring to the team you work with. And there were 10 of us who took it, and of the 10, there were 34 different strengths Okay, we each had a, a profile of five, and there was, there was some overlap here and there, but not complete. And it was a great exercise because it reminded us that we each bring something unique to the table and that we need one another to really fill out the completion of our team. Okay? We each have strengths. We each have things that we lack, deficiencies. We need one another. What's interesting is that um, in the introduction to that book, the author uses an illustration from uh, Rudy. Remember Rudy Rudiger? Remember the movie? Uh, Rudy, if, you don't, if you've never seen it, let me give you the, the background. Rudy was uh, in the military, and when he finished his time in the military, he went to school at Notre Dame. And he got a job on the grounds crew for the football stadium. Then he decided he wanted to be on the football team, and so he tried out, but he didn't make the team. He made the practice squad. And... Uh, the reason he didn't make the team was he was 5'6", 165 pounds. This is Division I football, right? So he made the practice squad. Now, in the movie, Rudy's appropriately played by a hobbit, right? <laughs> so there's, there's Rudy, 5'6", 165, day in, day out for four years. He got the fool knocked out of him. I mean, he just got pummeled. He got beat up. Then the, the final game of his senior season... End of the game, Notre Dame is way ahead, and so the coach puts Rudy into the game, and he makes one play, he sacks the quarterback, and they carry him off on their shoulders. And the moral of the story is you can be anything you want to be if you just try hard enough. And 
the authors of Strength Finder say, you know, maybe there's another moral to the story, which might be that Rudy's time would have been better served if he had pursued areas of strength, right? <laughs> Rather than just, you know, Rudy, just acknowledge the fact that you're 5'6", 165. Go down to Division Three, maybe, or, 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 or just study in the library, or, you know, just... Of course, in Rudy's case, it did work out because he got a movie and he got rich, but that's the rare case. At the end of their introduction, they make this statement, you cannot be anything you want to be, but you can be a lot more of who you already are. That's great. That's not the Bible, but that's, that's good truth. I had to reach a point in my life where I had to acknowledge, I'm not going to play in the NBA. Right? Because as you advance and you're, you're playing tougher and tougher competition, you finally reach a point, at least for most people, where they realize everybody's bigger and taller and faster, stronger than I am. That's just reality. I'm not going to play center for the Mavericks. Nor am I going to be in the NHL. Nor am I going to play Major League Baseball. I'm an intramural kind of guy. And that's okay. That's okay. Because God made you uniquely to make a unique contribution to the body of Christ. A contribution that no one else can make. Now I want this idea to really stick in your mind. So you walk out of here and you say, okay, I get it. I get it. I'm going to give you an image I borrowed this from, from Pat Coyle. Whenever he teaches on spiritual gifts, he uses this image. And it's, it's a profoundly theological image. You're going to walk out of here and you're going to remember what we talked about this morning because of this image that will be stuck in your minds. Okay? It's a Mr. Potato Head. Okay, just meditate for a moment on Mr. Mr. Potato Head. Okay? Mr. Potato Head is a great illustration of the body of Christ. This is a complete potato head. This is not a complete potato head. Okay, because all the parts are pulled out. They're all doing their own thing. So there's no body. There's no, there's no real Mr. Potato Head. He's, he's, he's separated. He's going lots of different directions. This is not a complete Mr. Potato Head. Everybody wants to be an eye, right? This is not a complete Mr. Potato Head. Everybody wants to be an ear. Nobody wants to be an eye or a nose or feet. This is not a complete Mr. Potato Head. It's closer, but there are no arms to feed the mouth, so he is incomplete. This is not a complete Mr. Potato Head. There are no feet, so no one can carry the, the, the beautiful truths of potatohood to the world, right? Because there are no feet for Mr. Potato Head. Right? This is not a complete Mr. Potato Head because everything's discombobulated, right? Eyes want to be ears and ears want to be noses, and it's completely upside down. It's not functioning as it should. Right? This is... Mr. Potato Head. So what's my point? My point is not that, that you are Mr. Potato Head. My point is that we are Mr. Potato Head, right? Okay, you got it? You've got the image. We are Mr. Potato Head. We reflect the very nature of God when we love one another, when we serve one another, when we give in to one another, we reflect the nature of the triune God. So Paul says, what is really true spirituality, super spirituality? It is not grabbing attention for self. It is using actively our gifts and our talents, our abilities to bring honor and glory to Jesus Christ. It is celebrating one another. Those are three great marks of true spirituality. Okay? Practical application, discover your ministry. Is going to be running April 15th, 22nd, 29th. You can sign up for that online. Great opportunity to explore a little bit. How's God made you? 
What are your skills? What's your history? How does all that play together? What are the spiritual gifts you have? Your interests, your talents. How has God made you? And at the end of that, you can step in maybe in a new and a fresh way and reflect the very nature of God, help complete the body of Christ. So as the men come forward to service the elements, I'd like for you to think about two things. Because Jesus Christ died and he was buried and he rose from the dead, we, we give thanks and we worship. But because he was raised from the dead, God said, now, Jesus, send the Spirit. Okay, in your place, send the Spirit. And that Spirit will indwell and empower your people so that they can share in your glory and reflect my nature. So I'd like for us to take a few moments and just thank God for the gift of his Spirit. Okay? Let's take a few moments silently and maybe uh, you don't know how God has uniquely designed you and you need to seek that out. Ask God to reveal that to you. Okay? Let's take a few moments silently before the Lord and then we'll take the elements together.